That's not just the sound of that first sip of Morning Joe. It's the sound of someone shopping for a car on Carvana from the comfort of home. That's a good blend. It's time to take it easy, like answering some easy questions to get pre-qualified for a car in minutes. Talk about starting the morning right. Just like customizing your terms so your car fits your budget. Mm, mm, mm. Visit Carvana.com or download the app to experience car shopping the way it should be. Convenient. Comfortable. Ah. What makes a life a good one? Is it the adventure you have? Or the friends you find along the way? Maybe it's pursuing your passion while striving to protect, defend, and save what you believe in every single day. So, what makes a life a good one? In the Coast Guard, we think it's all of the above and more. But you'll have to find out for yourself. Visit GoCoastGuard.com to learn more. CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. Well, she's got a lot of things on her mind to talk about now. Hey everybody, it's me, Jen. Before the episode begins, I forgot to mention something. I have a new design in my merchandise store for you anxious folks. It's it's cute. You just have to go see it. Click the link in the show notes and you will see it. It's anxious AF. And the AF, no, 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 doesn't stand for as fuck and fun. If you're anxious and fun, you'll love this merchandise and all of the proceeds that I get to keep that I make in my merchandise store go to food banks across America. This month in February, I'm donating to a food bank in Duluth, Minnesota and Flint, Michigan. So if you want to get in on that, shop the new fun design, click the link in the show notes or go to jenkirkman.com and click shop, get your anxious AF merchandise or anything else that you want and shop for a good cause. I post the receipts on social media on March 1st. Thanks again. Enjoy this week's episode. No Fun, the Jen Kirkman podcast, episode 375. What is this podcast? I'm comedian Jen Kirkman. Hi, you may remember me from Chelsea Lately or Drunk History or my Netflix specials, I'm Gonna Die Alone and I Feel Fine and Just Keep Living. Now, this podcast is not a comedy special. These are not punchlines. These are not jokes that I've toured the country with and perfected. This is a conversation. Well, it's a one-sided conversation. It is me talking to you about what's going on in my life, in my head, sometimes in the world, this week. And again, it's just like talking to a good friend where you say nothing. Perfect podcast to listen to while you do your dishes, fall asleep at night, or drive over a scary bridge and need someone babbling to distract you. I am here for you. I've been doing this podcast for over seven years now, and it used to be called I Seem Fun. And if you would like to listen all the way back, if you're a new listener, welcome. You can check out the archive 
uh, click the show notes for that, or you can go to jenkirkman.com and click podcast. And right at the top of that page, there is a link that will take you to where you can access all of the old episodes. And there is a Patreon version of this show for $5 a month. You get four videos a month plus bonus episodes. And the video version of every podcast has bonus stories in it that you will not hear here. I just told one about Marilyn Manson and a friend of mine. And, uh, that was only for the video people. So there you go. It's the best and only way to support me. While I am not on tour in 2020 or 2021, there will be no tour. So this is how you pay to see me on the road. And uh, to be quite honest, it is partially what I do for a living. And I'm really asking you, would you, would you like to help me pay my bills? Join that Patreon. And for $10 a month, you get, it's incredible what you get. You get the four videos that have bonus talking on them, two 20-minute bonus episodes a month, and one one hour a month. And I do fun things like there's one where I interviewed Dana Carvey on stage. There's one where I'm taking you around with a typical day of what I'm doing. Uh, It's always something different and funky and fun. All right. Anyway, so the levels go up from there, whatever you can afford. But don't be like, oh, she's probably fine. I see her on TV. No, 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 no. Oh, no. This is COVID times and this is my job now. So Please do. Patreon.com. Don't mind if you do. Patreon.com slash Jen Kirkman and get on it. Get in it. Support the comedians you love that aren't assholes going around and spreading COVID everywhere or that aren't spreading anti-vax conspiracy theories on their $100 million Spotify podcast or aren't the most famous female comedian in the world who has a podcast and then she pretended not to have COVID and now acts like she's the one that discovered it. So if you want to support not an asshole, this is who you support. Patreon.com slash Jen Kirkman. Let's give a shout out to some of my subscribers. This is in a sort of alphabetical order. Thank you this month to Thomas Casserly, Thomas B. Rice, Teresa Witkowski, Bob Seska, Terry Mahoney, Terry Hartman, Teresa Getz, Tana, Tanya Forlano, Tamara, Talita Hoffman, Sylvia, Sydney Larson, Susan Sharp, Susan, no last name, Steen Merritt, and Steve Adams. I hope I pronounced everyone's name correctly. Thank you all for subscribing. And again, I am on the Misfit Toys Comedy Collective. It is a collective of other podcasts that you might love. You can click the link in the show notes and check out Doug Loves Movies or The Todd Glass Show or Never Not Funny with Jimmy Parter or Mike Schmidt's The 40-Year-Old Boy. Hey, everybody. Doug Benson here, host of the long-running podcast, Doug loves movies. If you love movies, if you love comedy, if you love breathing, if you love lunch, if you love just about anything, I think you'll love Doug loves movies. Check it out wherever you get podcasts. All right, let's get to this week's episode. I am going to be talking about I Never Gave Helen Reddy of I Am Woman, Hear Me Roar, Song Fame, the credit she deserves. I knew nothing about her until I watched a Netflix movie and then learned about this other woman who was the first rock journalist, not even the first female rock journalist, the first one. And uh, I had no idea. And so I learned about that. I want to talk about taking my Christmas decorations down, which, you know, not that thrilling, but I'll, I'll find something interesting in there. Uh, talking about the last time I went to a Super Bowl party, I think, was almost 20 years ago, and a woman there told me she was having a sexual affair with a ghost. I'm going to talk about my love and confusion at the Jenna Lyons show Stylish, and if it's, 
I can't tell if it's good or bad. I'm going to talk about uh, how mindfulness can make you more anxious. Well, there's an article that says it can. I'll, I'll, I'll decide. And I've got listener emails about all kinds of things going on in all y'all's life as well. And, you know, whatever else pops into my head. Of course, I'm going to start with talking about something that I um, didn't tease that I was going to talk about. But, oh, my God, the impeachment trial is going on. Is anyone else feeling that old, familiar feeling of dread, exhaustion? It almost feels like you're hungover, but you're not. But you're like, I feel depleted, dehydrated. I feel like I need to just get an IV of electrolytes. I... I'm unmotivated. I know it's the pandemic, but I was doing okay last week. And then this week, I'm just like, oh, you feel like you have a weighted blanket on you, but not in the good way, not in the relaxing way. Like like you got a defective weighted blanket that just never comes off your shoulders. And you're like, hey, you weren't supposed to stay on me when I get up to make a cup of tea. That is the oppressive energy of Donald Trump. And it's not just Trump. And I'm not saying that so that the Trump supporters in my audience don't turn the dial. I'm really trying to explain that. So the impeachment trial is going on here in America. And, you know, the Democrats are making the case that these people stormed the Capitol and did so because they were incited by Donald Trump, who basically told them they have permission to do so and he'll be there with them and blah, blah, blah. And the election, all he had to say was the election was stolen. And that's enough, in my opinion, to incite people to violence. If, if you really believed something was stolen and that the people that stole it were evil and they were about to transfer power, I mean, I don't relate, but I can on paper understand on paper. I'm just saying on paper, here's the facts. You live in a country, your election was stolen evil people are taking over. And then you go, well, the next thing they did was they stormed the building. I'd go, yeah, that adds up. And then you go, but the election wasn't stolen. The people taking over weren't evil. And you go, oh, well, then I wouldn't. And they're like, yeah, but these people did anyway. Why? Well, the current president somehow has brainwashed entire, like half of the nation. Oh, or half of the voting nation. Oh, God. Yeah. So here's here's the problem. These men and women that stormed the Capitol, their energy, their collective energy, even if I'm nowhere near them, is oppressive. It makes me exhausted. It 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 must just be the way I was listening to a podcast episode of this podcast I love, um, Buddhist meditation teacher. Sharon Salzberg, and she was interviewing someone who'd written a book about trauma. And we always think that that, hello, welcome to my comedy podcast, trauma. We always think that word isn't available to us unless we've been in a major car accident or, you know, we think of it as an incident that happened to us and not our nervous system's response to our reaction to our world. Does that make sense? So you can be traumatized without actually having been in what we traditionally would call a traumatic situation. You know, I'm not going to list them all and bum you all out, but something like this where your country is being, you know, a bunch of people who believe 
a conspiracy theory are storming the Capitol and harming people and not caring and making crazy ass grunting noises and and the racism and the and the everythingism is terrifying. And just processing that, processing not being able to live your normal life because of the pandemic, you know, processing all of the things we're missing, human interaction we're missing. A lot of times we might go, but I don't feel stressed. My mind is fine. I'm laughing at jokes. I'm watching TV. I'm relaxed, having a glass of wine. But our body, that's where our brain kind of splits and it doesn't let us process what we're seeing because it's trying to protect us. And it goes into our body, right? Suddenly it's like, you know, why Why am I, you know, this whole thing, I'm, I'm still waiting to, to hear the results and I'm still going to get an echocardiogram. But like, I had this rapid heart rate for like months and you know, who knows? Could be medication, could be hormones, but it. I'm totally willing to admit that it could be this kind of just unprocessed trauma from, you know, what's been going on in my country. And, you know, I am hopeful that it'll be okay. And it like, it, it's just one of those things that makes me, let me, let me take you down how my mind works. This is how I I don't have sympathy for these people. When I see that they're regretful, I go, that's great. Now you can be regretful in jail for 10 years. I mean, if you drive drunk and you kill a family, no doubt when you come out of that blackout, you feel regretful. So you pay your debts to society by going to prison for manslaughter, even though that is something you never would have wanted to do. Hopefully you get into AA when you're in prison and you change your life. But this whole notion of I stormed the Capitol, oh my God, I realized 10 minutes later that I was just, you know, brainwashed by a thing. <coughs> Bless me. That's great. And you can work on all that later, but pay your debt to society. You're going to prison. Thank you. I wish I was the judge. They would just go, uh-huh, thanks. Okay, great story. Uh-huh, bye. Jail. Night. Bye. You don't even, <laughs> the judge makes all, the jury's like, should we weigh in? I'm like, nope. Why Why am I a judge if I have to listen to you fucking people? You're not, You're what are you, just people that, <laughs> you're like extras in a movie. Or you're like people that do a focus group. You just had the day off and you answered the mail. Like, fuck you people. <laughs> fuck this jury of your peers. I don't want your peers weighing in on this. I'm the judge. You're all guilty. You're, you're, you're crazy. And I'm sorry to say crazy. You're not crazy. Uh, but you're guilty and you're going to fucking jail and you can have your regrets and you can pen a memoir while you're in there and you can get deprogrammed and you can do all that in prison you'll have plenty of time but here's where my not sympathy but here's how I look at things and I'm not trying to look at it this way just it does help me not lose my mind but it also increases the sadness so let's look at it this way Now, of course, these people are racist, sexist, homophobic, xenophobic. We know that. Can we put that aside for 10 minutes? Because if I keep coming back to that, we're never going to be able to get to my other point about these people. Something besides, something in addition to all their isms has gone on in their brain. And it's not an uneducated thing. There are studies show that people who fall for conspiracy theories like this does nothing to do with how educated you are or aren't. It, it runs the gamut. So people who get riled up and believe this QAnon stuff, technically on paper, we are not so different from them. In the sense that I'm watching these trials and I want justice. I want Trump to never be able to serve again 
not because oh, I don't like him and I'm a libtard, but because he's really dangerous and I can't see my country go through this again. And the Republican Party has become Trump's party and they will nominate him to be the Republican nominee if he runs again in 2024. If he runs, he could win. There's a huge chance he could win. So I can't go through that again. And I, I can't go through my democracy being dismantled and turning into a dictatorship. So I'm watching this trial and I'm, you know, I'm, I'm also living my life. It's not obsessing me, but I'm just, I'm just saying I'm watching the trial and I'm hoping for justice. Now, these people that believe these conspiracy theories are also hoping for justice. They think there's this pedophile ring going on that the Democrats are running and they want to save the children. Now, are they wrong to want to save children from a powerful pedophiles? No. But it's just that that's not happening. And the way they're going about it is not how you usually go about. There's organizations you can work with to help people who are being sex trafficked and stuff like that by powerful people who do exist in government and entertainment. But however, what they're believing in is not happening. So you can see where all anybody wants is a better world. All anybody wants is to feel like they have a chance. What is so strange, and it's been going on since the beginning of time, is these white people who are terrified of everything being taken away from them, especially the white people who haven't had their shot yet at something in life. If only they could understand that fighting for others' rights, fighting for the rights of people of color, fighting for the rights of, of uh, LGBTQI community, fighting for the rights of immigrants, fighting for other people who aren't you, does give you that same sense of justice. And I promise you, it does not take away your desire to get yours in this world. And it will not prevent you from getting yours in this world. Because right now, when this system is set up for only the richest, 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 here's my Bernie Sanders, the 1%, uh, you will not get yours unless you are one of them. And none of these people are one of them. But if you want a world that works for everybody, you're probably going to, it's probably going to go really well for you. If they really were tuned into the actual injustices that were happening, they'd still have plenty to be outraged about. They could get their jollies that way. But it brings us back to what I said. Let's put a pin in for 10 minutes. They don't want to fight for others because of the deep sexism, xenophobia, misogyny, homophobia, blah, blah, blah. So it's, it's all just maddening. It's ex oh my sister just texted me. I'm so fucking jealous. I'm recording my podcast as we speak and typing to you. Everyone will get vaccinated, but me <laughs> all alone here in California. <laughs> 
Uh, my sister just texted me, oh my God, Massachusetts just rolled out a vaccine buddy system. We can go with 775 or older and get one too. I'm like, great. California's like, uh, maybe July, maybe August. I'm like, please help, help me. Um, I haven't been able to wait in line this week. Uh, anyway, that's my, my whole point is everything I'm talking about with these people and how they're going to be riled up for so long, I don't know how they're going to get deprogrammed. There are so many. It's not like there's 10 of these people in America. There's 70 million. And it's exhausting and it's tiring and it drains my soul. And I swear to God, just being reminded of them and watching these videos that the um, impeachment managers, which I didn't know that was a thing, are showing on this trial are really just getting into my soul. It's getting into my bones. And I'm just... You know, when I think, oh, I should get up and take a hike for an hour and then get back to work. It's like, ugh. It's just that situational depression. And, you know, it will go away once this trial is done. Although, it, I mean, it won't because Trump's going to get acquitted and there's still going to be these people. But in terms of like what I'm consumed with, like what's on my TV, um, that will go away. Now, I don't have to watch it, but I know it's there. And I'm not like sitting and I, I watch it while I do other work and stuff. Um, but, you know, it affects me. Um, okay, hang on one second. I need to change the light. I need to fix the lighting. I need to turn the light up. Okay, sorry. Um, nope, too much light. Sorry, guys, I'm playing with my... um lighting here on Patreon. Hang on. Ow! Jeez! <laughs> my ass just like... Oh my God, I almost, I almost broke my asshole. My ass cheek just caught on the side of my metal arm of my chair and I, I literally almost destroyed my bum my bum hole on on the podcast. Okay, you know what? Let's hear from one of our sponsors. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. I hope they appreciated that introduction. Anyway, if you're like, what is this podcast? This is what it is. If I need to adjust the lighting, I will get up in the middle and do that. If I, if I fall and almost bust my hole, I don't edit it out. So this is what, this is what you get. Um, anyway, so let's talk about, do you ever have something that you go, I don't like that. I hate that. And you don't really know anything about it, but you're like, I already know I hate it. I don't need to learn about it. That was me with the song. I am woman. Hear me roar. It, it, it is. I've always thought the worst song ever made. I always thought if you said to me, well, what's the history of it? And I would say, besides the fact that it was in the Sex and the City 2 movie 
when the girls did the most annoying thing you can do, four-person karaoke um, in Abu Dhabi. They sang that, which I get it. They were, you know, expressing themselves in the Middle East. Um, Besides that, the history of the song is there was the women's movement and then this woman... This like cheese ball woman who was probably just like picked by the record industry the way boy bands are. And they were like, here's a song written by a man and it's about being a woman. And, you know, that women's shit that was going on in the last couple of years, that seems pretty hip. So why don't you write? We wrote a song for you to sing. And she's like, I am woman. Hear me roar. That's what I thought. I was 100 percent wrong. That's totally not the story of Helen Reddy and the song I Am Woman. It is the most authentic story. And I can't, like, why did I just made up a fact and totally believed it? Not that I was, like, going around trashing her. (laughs) Like, I'm never talking about 70s um, pop star Helen Reddy. It's, It's not, it was just sort of like, you know... You have these thoughts that you keep in the attic of your brain and you clean it out sometimes and you go, when did I even get this? Like when I have had this for this long and and that's not even like really what's going on. That is so weird of me. Like that's so unlike me. Um, so I'll tell you the story behind it. I mean, behind why I'm talking about this. So there's a show, a movie on Netflix that was called I Am Woman. And it was like single mom... You know, it doesn't say the true story of Helen Reddy. It just says, I am woman. And it's like, it's about a single mom who comes to New York from Australia and she gets a record deal. And I'm like, still not putting it together that it's a biopic about Helen Reddy. I'm like, this looks annoying, but I'll watch it. I start watching it and I'm like, oh, this, this is about Helen Reddy. Oh, wait, what? So basically she's, Lives in Australia, wants to be a singer. She's a single mom, divorced. She moves to New York City because um, she thought that she had a record deal with Capitol Records or something like that, but it was really just an audition. And they were like, look, lady, rock bands are in right now. You know, it's the early 70s, and we already have Karen Carpenter, and we already have Mama Cass. Like, we don't need another lady singing, blah, blah, blah. And But she had a really good voice, and she was doing, you know, her nightclub act. And this guy, this actor I really love. Of course, I don't know his name. I'm too lazy to look it up. But he was on the TV show Pose. And he was this, like, straight cis businessman who was married. But he was secretly having an affair with um, the trans prostitutes. And and I, I just like his acting. So he's he's in this Netflix movie. And he's playing her manager. So, but... When he first meets her, obviously, he's not her manager yet. So he sees her singing. He thinks she's great. He's just this young whippersnapper who's working at the William Morris Agency, and he wants to be a famous manager someday. And so they start dating. She lives in basically a room, like a hotel room with her daughter, blah, blah. He's like, I... Then he got fired for selling marijuana at work, and so now he's on his own as a manager. He's starting his own company he wants to represent her. They decide to move to LA and get married. It's us against the world, blah de blah blah So that's one part of the story. The next part of the story is that she has a best female friend. 
this woman named Lillian Roxon, who's that's a, that was a real person. So Lillian is another Australian who lives in New York City. And somebody just put them together and said, you guys are both Australian. Maybe you'll be friends. And Lillian was a rock critic. She wrote critiques of bands and music for magazines. And nobody had done that before. It wasn't, it's a very male-dominated industry, an industry that she basically started. I mean, she didn't start it, but she was one of the first. It wasn't exactly known as like a cool thing to be yet. And so, you know, she would go and write stuff in the Village Voice. Um, She was always hanging out at Max's Kansas City. So what it says on Wikipedia about her as her articles about the rock scene are now credited as being foundation stones of serious rock writing. She's been described by other leading critics as the mother of rock. She was friendly with many music stars, but rarely became personally involved, except with Helen. But they were friends before Helen was famous. She looked young enough to mix easily with the rock crowd, but she was at least 10 years older than most of the musicians she wrote about. She didn't take drugs or drink. These factors, together with her renowned wit combined, gave her a degree of ironic detachment that influenced many younger rock writers. She was one of the first mainstream journalists to treat popular music with any degree of seriousness and to regard it not as a trivial flash in the pan, but as an important social phenomenon. She became close friends with Danny Fields, the rock manager, Village Voice journalist Blair Sable, um, a guitarist in Patti Smith's band, blah, blah, blah. So then she developed this thing called the Encyclopedia of Rock. She wanted to put like every band that ever existed in a book and call it a rock encyclopedia. So now people do that all the time and she invented it. And it's just so ironic because Rolling Stone is such a man's world. There was this huge article that came out um, last year and it was a, a spoken word of, what do you call it, verbal oral history of the women that worked there and how they were disrespected and they couldn't, whatever, whatever. And it's like, you didn't even invent the genre like a woman did. And she died in the early 70s of asthma. And so it's like, she died. And then it became like this legit job you could do. And then men were doing it and kept women out. It it infuriated me to find that out. It infuriated me that she invented a thing that men then took over and kept women out of. It infuriates me. Hang on one second. So I'm like, I'm really getting a lot of bang for my buck with this Helen Reddy movie. I'm learning a lot. I'm getting infuriated. It's a perfect Saturday night. Anyway, so... Helen leaves for L.A. with her husband. Her best friend Lillian Roxon is back in New York. Now, Helen and her husband are in L.A., and he starts signing some male clients. And she's like, get me a meeting at, you know, these record companies. And they're all like, yeah, yeah, little lady, blah, blah, blah. And her husband is kind of a dick. Like, he's a coke addict and kind of sexist and... I looked it all up. It was all true. And she's starting to, like, the women's movement hadn't really started. I mean, it, it had, it had, but it wasn't, she wasn't on the coattails of it. She was part of the beginning of it. And she starts reading things, and she just writes the song, I Am Woman. So she finally gets her record deal. She sings a cover song, and it goes really well. And 
it becomes um, a real a hit single. So now she's got to do a record, and she's it's it's like the thing that happens in every movie, but it's a hundred percent true because everyone with any power in any industry does not understand what the people want and the people whether it's a comedian or a singer they're like this is what people want and then the executive is like i don't think so and you're like i'm the people you're a fucking executive you know jack shit and so she is writing her album she's writing her i am woman song and the guy at the record label is like sounds kind of angry which is so funny because it's like I am woman, hear me raw, you know, and she's like, I'm telling you, women will love this. And this is where her husband was a good manager and genius. He's like, okay, we're going to go on a tour and she's going to sing that song all around the country and you're going to fucking see. And that's exactly what she did. And audiences are going crazy. And it became the official anthem of the women's movement in the 70s. And I had no idea it was that authentic. And I feel like a giant sexist dick for not even knowing this. Hang on. So, I enjoyed the movie because I learned a lot. And then, you know how when they have these biopics where, you know, people are singing, whether it's your Johnny Cash and Reese Witherspoon, I mean, you know, Joaquin Phoenix and Reese Witherspoon doing... June Carter and Johnny Cash, you kind of go, if you're a fan of the music, you're like, that doesn't sound like them. This woman, pl- whoever played Helen Reddy, kind of sounds like her. But now I don't hate the I Am Woman song. It's it's like a little cheesy because it's like not totally my type of music, but it's kind of great. Woman, hear me roar. The number's too big to ignore. And I want too much to go back pretend. Wait, let's do karaoke. Wait, hang on. Wait, wait. Wait, hang on. We're all going to do karaoke together. Look, everyone, men too. We're going to get the lyrics up. Okay. Ready? Go. Karaoke time. I am woman, hear me roar, and numbers too big to ignore, and I know too much to go back and pretend, cause I've heard it all before, and I've been down there on the floor, no one's ever gonna keep me down again, oh yes, I am wise, but it's wisdom born of pain. Yes, I've paid the price, but look how much I've gained. If I have to, I can do anything. I am strong. I am invincible. I am woman. You can bend but never break me Cause it only serves to make me More determined to achieve my final goal (laughs) And I come back even stronger Not a novice any longer Cause you've deepened the conviction in my soul (laughs) Oh yes, I am wise But it's wisdom born of pain Yes, I paid the price, but look how much I gained if I have to. I love if I have to. I can do anything. I am strong. 
I am invincible. I am woman. <laughs> I am woman. Watch me grow. Cause I've been eating in a pandemic and I weigh more than I want to ever again. Oh, that's not the lyric. Sorry. That was fun. Not for any of you, but for me. Sometimes you just want to bust out some karaoke and make others listen to it. Oh my God, how many people have just unsubscribed to the podcast? One weirdo was like, I subscribed twice. That was my favorite part. I am woman. <laughs> it's catchy, right? Good for you. Good, good for you. Go, girl. You go, girl. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Oh my God, I'm out of breath from that. So there you go. There's a little feminist history for you and for me. Someone who didn't know any of that stuff. Okay. I took down my Christmas decorations. I know I mentioned I was going to talk about that. Do I have a story about it? I will just tell you, I don't know if you guys are anything like me. I was going to keep them up until like March because I was like, I need some nice and light and I want it to be nice and light in the world and blah, blah, blah. And we don't really have winter in LA and it makes me feel like it's winter and blah, 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 blah. And then there's one day last Saturday. Two Saturdays ago, whatever it was, or first week, February. I'm sitting on my couch and I'm like, oh, I can't look at this anymore. You know, I put the stuff up on Halloween. That's my tradition. I decorate for Christmas on Halloween. That's just how I do. And I went, I can't. It's not doing it. It was helping with my depression. And then it started to make me depressed. And then I felt like there's too much stuff in here. So I packed it all up. And I rented a storage space this year. Oh my God, what a rich bitch. I don't have time to rent a storage space. I'm busy sitting in my cubicle working to put food on the table for my family. I put my Christmas decorations in the garage in the big home that I own. <laughs> well, I don't have that, lady. I have an apartment. And I want to use my closet for other things, the closet in my office. So, oh, it was such a good feeling to go to this. And by the way, if you're a Patreon subscriber, there's a video of me going to the storage space on it. Why would that make you subscribe? I don't know. Again, there's one weirdo that's like, that was finally the thing that put me over the edge. Patreon.com slash Jen Kirkman. Anyway, so there was something so freeing about just like getting it all out of the house. And then, you know, this always happens. You take your decorations down. First of all, it took like six hours. My Fitbit was like, well, you've never worked out this hard before in your life. It was going off. It was like 20,000 steps, heart rates shooting through the roof. And... um. I just didn't stop. I didn't stop till it was over. It took, the whole thing was like nine hours. You would think I'd live in a mansion. Took it all down, drove it to the place, then came home. It was like, ugh. This place seems empty. So 
I started watching this show, Jenna Lyons Stylish on HBO Max, and there's a little bit of home decorating in it, and it was giving me some ideas, and so I did some redecorating around my place, and now my place is heaven, and I love it, which means there's going to be an earthquake. Every time I fall in love with my apartment, there's a giant earthquake, and I get freaked out, and I can't enjoy it because I'm like, I gotta get the fuck out of California before the big one comes. So sorry about that. If, if there is an earthquake this week, it's my fault. But it's this feeling I get where I can never predict when the decorations are coming down. Sometimes they come down on New Year's Day. Sometimes they come down in February. I don't know. I have to be, I can't take them down because society tells me to. I have to do it when I feel it's time because I'll be bummed if I do it too early. I have to wait until that moment where I'm like, I cannot take this one more day. They're coming down right now. It's just a feeling. It, it's not like, I should take those down this week. It is not, it is not easy like that. It is now. And I had the time and so I did it. And I'm so glad I did because I got super busy this week and just didn't have the time to do it. So there you go. They're down. If I was inspiring anyone by saying I'm keeping them up till March because I kept saying that, I'm sorry if I indeed have let you down. So that brings me to this show I'm watching. So Jenna Lyons was the woman who ran J. Crew. Um, she was a a CEO of J. Crew. She's the one that sort of changed it from just being, you know, khakis and cardigans, and she made it cool again. She was um, the creative director and president for J. Crew from 2008 to 2010, um, and then she still worked at J. Crew until I think 2017. But she, uh, you know, if you remember during that time, Michelle Obama wore J. Crew to the inauguration. And it became this thing. And then they they did wedding clothes, you know, wedding, like cool wedding, what do you call it? Bridesmaids dresses and stuff like that. So she made everything kind of cool again. And it's interesting. She's she's a little older than me. She's like just on the verge of Gen X. Like, you know, the older Gen X. And she's gay. She wasn't, or I mean, who knows what she always was, but she was married to a man before and is gay now. Uh, but recently broke up with her girlfriend. It's just interesting to watch an older woman on TV who's single and is like, I don't do well with relationships. Like, I'm not doing it anymore. I'm in menopause. I'm running a business. Let's do this. It's sort of, um, I know it helps me to watch older women on TV doing stuff. Even if I like don't totally relate to all aspects of their life, I'm like, Okay, there's someone who's not like, hi, it's me, a woman. I've got a husband and kid running around and, you know, you know, it's like nice to see someone who's like, I'm alone and doing this thing and I'm not trying to be alone. I just happen to be alone and I'm trying to start a business. Now, here's where the show is like, I'm always cognizant now of like white privilege and things like that. So here's this woman who ostensibly could have been the reason that J. Crew's sales eventually went bad and the place was bankrupted and she was let go. And now she's like, I don't know what I want to do and took two years off, which, you know, most people can't afford to do. I don't begrudge her that if you can afford it, like do it. I really admire people who, like I always say, if you have a ton of money, I don't understand a lot of people who are still so hungry, you know, and they're like trying and hustling and it's like, just relax. And you worked so hard for this money. Just fucking enjoy it, you know? Any comedian I know who's worth 30 million, and I know a few, I'm like, why are you working? Can you relax for a little bit? But I guess you have to stay relevant, blah, blah, blah. You know, I have a hundred bucks and I'm like, ah, I can coast for two years. I'm kidding. I'm not, I like to pretend I'm broke. I'm not broke, but I'm not a millionaire. So, 
But if I were, trust me, you would not hear from me. <laughs> I, would, like, I can't wait to be rich enough to do nothing. And so I, I always like when people actually do that because to me, that's the point of money is that you don't have to work as much. So I don't begrudge her that, but I go, okay, so you're, she's making a reality show about putting together her, her new business, which I'm confused what her business is. It seems like she's going to have a pop-up shop in the basement of her apartment and sell things that other people make, which is fine. But is she a designer? Is she a designer for hire? Is she going to start her own line of furniture? I guess this is where you start when you're starting small. So maybe it's not a rich white woman who's like, I'm just going to dabble and see what happens. Maybe it's not. Maybe it really is like, no, this is how a business begins. I mean, look at how my, you know, what I hope becomes this bigger and bigger thing for me is this anxiety stuff I started doing, helping people with anxiety. It all started on like a little newsletter I sent out over the summer. And now I have a new podcast coming out this year about it. And I hope to like do lectures about it. You know, I want to build it into a business. And I guess this is where it's starting, right? This show is like her version of the newsletter. By the way, if you want to get my anxiety um, email, it's a 55-page PDF that I wrote and it has so many tips and tricks to help you if you can't afford therapy right now. If you're just curious about anxiety and want to read something that's really fun and down to earth and it won't scare you, send just write help to anxietybitesweekly at gmail.com and I will send you within 24 hours my um, book. So anyway, but the show is, you know, it's like any reality show. That she's interviewing staff to work for her. So like a bunch of Gen Z are coming in. They're all coming in. She's like, do you have a resume? And they're like, um, no. And I'm like, is she wrong or are they wrong? Because here's this Gen X that wants someone to walk in with a piece of paper and hand it to them. And it's like, that's not what people do anymore. I mean, you know, I audition. And, and in the olden days, you'd go in an audition and you'd have your headshot stapled to your resume and you'd hand it to them. Nowadays, they have it because your agent emailed it to them and they've printed it out themselves. Like you don't have to hand it. So it would seem like you would have already emailed your resume to Jenna and she can print it out if she wants or she can look it up on her computer. But who's walking around with paper anymore? You know, it just I'm kind of on the young people's side where I'm like, why if they've already sent now, if they haven't sent Jenna there, if, if the if Jenna has no um, resume from them and they know that, then yeah, they're dumb fucks for not bringing it. But I just have a feeling that was sort of manipulated by the production to be like, oh, this is the difference between young and older people. But it, it I think it's designed to make them look kind of stupid at first. And I'm like, well, that's not fair because why? Would the... But the one girl's like, do you want to, I'm a clothing designer. Do you want to look at my collection? And Jonah's like, yeah, where do you have pictures? And she's like, yeah, and tries to hand her her phone. And Jenna's like, I don't touch people's phones. You know, I don't. Um... And she's right. I mean, you don't know what kind of dick pic could pop up while she's looking at it. So it, it's kind of fun, like generationally to just watch someone, you know, in my age range, interview people. But, you know, that can only go so far. But then she's got this gay guy sidekick assistant, Cope, Cope co-whatever she is but I don't know he seems he's both exhausting and exhausted like he seems like a sweetheart but I'm just like okay so I can basically break this guy down in two seconds he had an alcoholic mother and he spent his whole life trying to make her happy and he's extremely codependent now I don't know if any of this is true I'm just guessing but it's like he's really good at just like keeping Jenna happy and like tap dancing as fast as he can. Now, I don't know what he actually 
if he has a skill, like if he's a designer of some kind, but he's he's wrangling all the interviews and he's, you know, eaves. This I kind of like. What I like about this show is the people that she hires every episode they have a new challenge but it's not like a contest you know it's 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 a competition but it's not presented like now's the big contest and there's winners and losers at the end of every episode she lets someone go but it's kind of like a job review where she's like she's got a really good boss style like she's clearly really evolved been in therapy taken some seminars or whatever because she talks to people and says now how are you feeling about work Uh uh-huh I'm really uh, I just don't think this is a match because I'm not getting enough from you and she has just a way of uh, leading which I think is admirable but I'm also like am I wrong is this bad I I always feel like if I watch the show with someone smarter than me they'd be like oh my god this is really problematic here's why bing 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 I'm like oh I'm sorry I'm a gen x white I didn't notice that but Anywho, so I kind of just, I like the way that she lets people down easy and really explains to them that like they're just not right for this project. And a lot of the, the young women, and you can see it in them, and, and men too, they they have their own thing. And they keep trying to bring their own thing to each challenge. And she's like, you're working for me, so you kind of have to disappear and just bring me what I want. You know, you have to design what I want. And you kind of have to be in my head. And that's true. Like when you're writing on a TV show, you don't write jokes that you would say you write for the host. And you can kind of tell sometimes when some people, it's not a bad quality at all. And this is good for young people to hear, I think. If you're the kind of person that can kind of only be yourself, you might have trouble working for people that you admire. But it's only it only usually means you'll probably end up like them with your own thing. Um, and other people will want to work for you someday, but it's going to be hard at first to, to try to fit in with other people. And and if you have the ability to chameleon and and work well for others and do your own thing on the side, that's the best of both worlds. I think I kind of excel at that, not to give myself a compliment, but I will. But there's some people who can't, and I don't think that's a bad thing. I think it just means they're they're either like an asshole or they're like a Steve Jobs and they're going to just do their own thing and like be huge. But there's kind of never much in between. Anyway, my point being that um, what I like about this reality show is unlike, so if you're Project Runway, you know, and Tim Gunn comes in and goes, so what are we doing here? Okay, I see what you're doing with that dress. You make it work. And then they they show their stuff to the judges. The judges have no idea the drama going on behind the scenes and it doesn't play into anything. But what I like about Jenna's show, and it's probably not good, is that, you know, she'll have these two people work together and how they work together is just as important as what they end up delivering, right? She wants people that get along and she wants people that know how to work with each other. And so that's a huge part of any job. It's probably more important than what you can eventually deliver is your demeanor at work. So blah blah her sidekick guy is always listening and eavesdropping and then reporting back to her and being like, Jenna, these two were fighting. Like, it's kind of amazing. He's just a straight up tattletale. But it's kind of part of what she needs to know. But I like that because I'm always like, I hate that no one sees this person that's really good at designing something is behaving like a fucking asshole, you know? Anyway, I... I am trying to find a Reddit thread about this show and I can't. I'm not willing to start my own. I am desperate to talk about this show with anybody. Nobody is watching it. I can't 
find and no one ever watches the same things I'm watching. Is anyone out there watching this show? Can you please send me your opinions? Tell me where I'm wrong. Tell me tell me what to think. I seem fun at gmail.com. Tell me what to think. Now I may not end up doing so, but just give me your thoughts. So I read this article about how mindfulness might actually make you more anxious, which I don't know if it's going to piss me off or not. I know what they think they mean, um, but let's take it. Let's read it together for the first time and see, and see what you think. I love how I think anyone is still listening after I sang I Am Woman badly along to the music. Okay, this is from bbc.com. This is by David Robson. I don't know what his qualifications are in the anxiety world, but he says how too much mindfulness can spike anxiety. Now, my guess would be too much obsession with mindfulness is going to cure my anxiety and it doesn't, and too much obsession over if you're doing it right. Sure, but that's not mindfulness's problem. That's your perfectionistic approach, and perfectionism is a symptom of anxiety. And mindfulness can actually help that. So let's see where this article goes. Stress, anxiety, productivity, mindfulness is often touted as a solution to nearly everything, but research shows that you can actually take meditation too far. For around 20 years, I've struggled with periods of anxiety and turned to mindfulness meditation as a means of quelling those feelings. At its best, the benefits would often perfectly match the hype. Focusing my attention on my breath or my body would calm my nagging internal voice, and I'd return to normal life feeling energized and invigorated. Far too often, however, I'd end the session feeling much worse than when I began. Rather than relaxing, my heart would begin to accelerate or my inner monologue would take a nasty turn as unpleasant memories and feelings of failure and hopelessness flooded my mind. These events became so frequent that I now only use mindfulness occasionally. Wait, but that's what's supposed to come up when you meditate and you're supposed to learn how to not quell the thoughts, but accept them and live with them. I hate these articles. Like they, okay. I had just assumed that I was uniquely bad at taming my thoughts, yet a growing body of research suggests that such stories may be surprisingly common, with one study from 2019 showing that at least 25% of regular meditators have experienced adverse events, from panic attacks and depression to an unsettling sense of dissociation. Given these reports, one researcher has even founded a nonprofit organization, Cheetah House, that offers support to meditators in distress. Well, that makes sense. I mean, but it's not the fault of mindfulness. It means that some people have a really intense thing going on. They need extra care. Oh, this article's I'm already mad. How could something that is apparently so beneficial for so many people turn out to have such disturbing effects for others? Are there any ways to gain the benefits of meditation without running into these risks? In any discussion of mindfulness, it's important to remember that there are many different techniques that train particular types of thinking and being. The best-known strategies are mindful breathing, in which you focus on the feelings of respiration, and the body scan, in which you pass your attention from head to toe, noting any physical sensations that arise in the course of the session. 
These kinds of practices are meant to ground you in the present moment, and the effects can be seen in brain scans with growth in the insula cortex, a region that is involved in bodily perception and emotion. As a result, mindfulness training can leave us more in touch with our feelings, which is important for good decision-making. Many mindfulness practices also encourage a more general observing awareness in which you train yourself to notice your thoughts and feelings without reacting or judging. With practice, this can increase your capacity for emotional regulation so that you are no longer as susceptible to flashes of anger, for instance. Ideally, these changes should complement each other and result in greater well-being, but that's only possible if they occur in balance and moderation. Unfortunately, some meditators may pass the optimum point on either one of these elements, leading to distress. Take the effects of a body scan with the heightened activity in the insular cortex. It's like somebody turned up the volume knob and the intensity of all your emotions is going to be louder. Eventually, your sensitivity to every slight change could be overwhelming. The result could be full-on panic attacks. I just so weird. I've had panic attacks my whole life, and doing this stuff never made them worse. Focusing on my breathing does make it worse for me, so when I'm panicking, I don't focus on my breathing, but it's, it's again, it's people have to find their own thing like it he's making it seem uh, I don't like this article I'm going to be totally honest I feel like maybe he's just not explaining it well but they're trying to make a case that some people are too anxious for this but there's just different ways around it. And so, uh, I can't deal. Let's read another let's read something that's more fun than I wanted to read anyway. So for those of you who live in climates that have a winter and you have those heaters not central heating, but those radiators, radiators, as they say in, uh, my friends say from Australia. And they are burning so hot and you can't control it because you don't have the thermostat in your house and you have to open your windows and you feel like you're wasting heat. Those were designed to help prevent the spread of pandemics. So you're supposed to keep your window open with your radiator on. I saw this, uh, someone linked to it on Twitter, it's in Snopes, where were old apartment radiators designed to prevent the spread of the 1918 pandemic? Yes, surprising vestiges of the 1918 pandemic are suddenly relevant again. Some steam radiators in older apartment buildings in cities like New York were designed to keep dwellings warm with windows open due to the 1918 pandemic. And as we know, fresh air is really important for keeping the air circulated and that helps in not spreading the virus. So just over a century ago, another virus-borne pandemic was ravaging the world, the 1918 flu pandemic, sometimes called the Spanish flu, which killed millions globally in 1918 and 1919. And as the COVID-19 pandemic of 2020 rages on, many are discovering that the vestiges of the 1918 pandemic are suddenly relevant again. One such vestige is the bete noire of many New Yorkers, Oversized, noisy radiators that overheat apartments. The radiators were built to keep dwellings warm with open windows on the coldest day. Although public health experts in the early 20th century didn't have the technology available in 2020 to detect and analyze viruses, they intuited that opening windows was safer during a pandemic than have people sitting indoors and breathing stale air. Health officials thought correctly that fresh air would ward off airborne diseases then, as now, cities rushed to move activities outdoors from schools to courtrooms. 
When winter came, the need for fresh air didn't abate. According to a heating industry expert and author, Dan Hollihan's research, the Board of Health in New York City ordered that windows should remain open to provide ventilation, even in cold weather. In response, engineers began devising heating systems with this extreme use in mind. Steam heating and radiators were designed to heat buildings on the coldest day of the year with all of the windows open. Anybody who's thrown their windows open in January when their apartment is stifling is in an odd way replicating what engineers hoped you would do a century ago. Hollihan told the New York Times that the 1918 flu pandemic inspired something called the fresh air movement, the push to keep windows open to circulate as much fresh air as possible as a stopgap measure to prevent the spread of airborne diseases. Much of New York City's overheating problem can be attributed to the Spanish flu epidemic of 1918. I first spotted this in my engineering books from the 1920s. The authors would mention the fresh air movement and caution that both boilers and radiators now had to be much larger because of the need to keep windows open by command of the Board of Health. Although the Spanish flu abated in 1920, the engineering standards dictating oversized radiators remained. There you go. So if you're like, I feel so bad, I'm keeping my window open and the heater's on, it's designed that way. Oh, that sounds kind of nice. I love doing that. I put my little space heater on. I do have central heating, but I, I don't need that. It gets too hot. I put my space heater on and I open the window and I'm I'm so happy. And someone's going to email me, yeah, I'm wasting then again. Don't tell Greta Thunberg on me. That's right. And I still use plastic straws. What do you want me to do? Oh, I mentioned I was going to tell a story about a woman who had sex with a ghost. Okay. It's really not that great a story. <laughs> it was just that I don't watch the Super Bowl. I don't give a fuck about the commercials. I I used to be this person 20 years ago. What's with the corporate America capitalist? We're going to get to get because I had, you know, my comedian friends, like the guys, some of them liked football. Some of the women did some, you know, it was like a mix. So like some people liked it, some people didn't. But this one comedian would have this big party every year and we'd all go. And, you know, it's just an excuse to all get together on a Sunday and drink and hang out. And but I always was like, I can hang out and drink with you guys anytime. I don't need to be part of this corporate America Oh, we're just going to go watch the commercials. Like, I don't need to be sold stuff like capitalism, advertising, bad, bad, bad. Boop, boop, boop. I'm so ahead of the, boop, 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 boop. you know, I'm not an annoying person. But I go with my boyfriend at the time. We go to the party. And it's this weird thing where, like, I'm the only woman there. Like, the other ladies didn't come. Like, and it was just, it was fine. I mean, obviously, my whole life has been mostly around dudes. But the problem was, I'm a comedian. So the dudes and I have comedy in common. And when, I hate to say this, but when a comedian man brings his non-comedian woman to a party, the comedian woman gets stuck talking with her. And I'm like, in this moment, I'm not a woman, I'm a comedian. <laughs> and I don't relate to you at all. And I want to talk to you about whatever you talk about. It's not I'm one of the guys, it's I'm one of the comedians. And if there's a room full of comedians and one person isn't, I'm not interested in that person, I hate to say it. Not always, but... Just say it for the sake of the story at this particular party. So she corners me and we end up talking and then guys see two women talking. They're like, they're having fun. No. And she was like, do you believe in ghosts? And I was like, yeah, you know, don't, you know what? Even if you do never answer the infer in the affirmative until you find out why they're asking. 
Oh, yeah, of course. I you know, grew up in an old house in Massachusetts. I think my house was haunted. She's like, well, I haven't wanted to tell my boyfriend, but this ghost in my apartment um, took advantage of me the other night. I was like, excuse me? And she's like, I had, you know, this ghost like forced himself on me. And I was like, oh my God, she's like reliving trauma. This isn't a ghost. It's like a memory of her uncle. Like what's happening? And then she's like, but then I started to like it. And I know you're not supposed to say that, but I kept hoping the ghost would come back. And so now he's coming back every night and we're having sex. And I'm like, okay. And she's like, should I tell my boyfriend? Is it considered cheating if it's a ghost? And I'm like, look, these are great questions. Um, I'm not sure. I mean, I don't have, I don't remember how long I talked to her. I feel like my memory has just stopped working after that moment because my mind exploded and it's probably still stuck to my friend's wall that he doesn't even live there anymore. And it was just one of those things where I was like, I can't wait to leave so I can tell my boyfriend this. I can't wait to leave. Oh my God. And I'm just making eye contact with him like, uh, help. And, you know, I think he came over and interrupted and then we left and I was like, she's having sex with a ghost. And he's like, what? And I'm like, your friend's girlfriend is having sex with a ghost and she won't tell him. And he's like, oh my God, we got to tell him. Not like this girlfriend's cheating, but that she he doesn't know she's a little whacked. And I'm like, I I promised her I wouldn't tell anyone. <laughs> so that's the last time I was at a Super Bowl party. I hope everyone that watched the Super Bowl this year got everything they wanted out of it. Uh, you're t- I, well, I didn't. I fucking hate Tom Brady. And I'm from Boston. But fuck them. Fuck the Patriots. I know he's not on the Patriots. Fuck him. Fuck them. Those fucking MAGA hat wearing. Fuck, fuck, fuck. Tom Brady sucks. He's the best quarterback in the world. I don't give a shit. You think I care? We're all black in high school. All right, everybody. Thank you. If you want to support me, and I hope you do, patreon.com slash Jen Kirkman. Link in the show notes for all kinds of things where you can get my album, you can get my anxiety email, and uh, but only here on the podcast can you get my hot takes on sex with ghosts and football. Until next week, have fun. 